Please stand and prepare your hearts for the reading of God's holy word. Today's scripture passage comes from Luke 9, 23 through 27. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed, when he comes to his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of God. This thing's really high. (laughs) Like awkwardly high. Hey, everybody. Um, Please open to Luke chapter 9. This short and very, uh, I would would think, probably a pretty familiar passage to a lot of us, but it is uh, what the Lord has laid on my heart um, while I was in a cabin in Maine uh, in July uh, to inform our, our new and, as Ryan was saying, refreshed vision for uh, flat Rock going into 2020. Uh, what we want to do, what we always want to be about here at Flat Rock is being really transparent with you about the why and the what. The why and the what are everything to what we're doing here as a church. And we've always talked about it in those terms. Why are we here? Why do we exist? What are we doing? Where are we going? Where's the ship headed? And so um, this is something that I think about constantly. You pay me, um, in a sense, to carry the burden of keeping this on my mind and in my heart 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I share that burden with our leadership, and so we think about these things together. And we take this very seriously because we want Flat Rock to be um, to have a clear mission and vision of where we're headed. Um, and I think the way we talk about it uh, is important, and so I'm going to uh, share that um, after I pray, just the, the way that we've always... Uh, thought about mission and vision. But what I want, what we really desire is for every single member and regular attender at Flat Rock um, to be able to recite and tell someone what our mission and vision is. So we want it to be so simple and so clear that if you talk to anybody about, hey, what's, what church do you go to? You go to Flat Rock. What's Flat Rock about? What do you all care about? That we could talk about those things really easily and they would just come to our hearts and our minds very easily and we would be about that Together, So I think that's important for us to interrogate and update and talk about every single year. And for this particular year, for 2020, this may not always change, but in 2020, I think it has changed. Well, it has changed uh, for us. And so I'm excited to share that with you guys, to share with you all about the new and exciting opportunities that we're getting engaged in, not only in the community, but as a church to equip you guys to fulfill this mission in hopes of seeing our vision become a reality. So I'll pray. And then unpack this a little bit more. Father, I do thank you for everyone here. I pray that you would unite us behind a mission that is from you and from your word. I thank you that it is not man-made, it is anchored in scripture. Lord, that you guide and direct our steps. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. We make our plans, but you direct our steps. So we hold these things loosely, and we trust that your spirit will guide us and correct us and reorient us and redirect us where we need to go. Lord, we understand that there will be trials, there will be 
gains and losses along this perilous journey that is church planting. Um, we recognize that there will be seasons of great victory and seasons of great loss. And Lord, I, more than anyone, <laughs> need to trust you in that. Help us to trust you, that you love this church more than we do, that you are making it into your church and not our church. It is your church, and we get the privilege to be a part of it. Remind us of that, that we might walk this path of humility in total and utter dependence upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you all have heard me talk about this uh, before, but here's how we think about mission and vision. Mission is the vehicle, if you think about it in these terms, it's the vehicle that is driving us towards our destination, which is our vision. Our core values, we believe, are the fuel that we put into the car to help us make it to the vision. So in 2020, just it's already written out there for you, you've seen it on posters, um, our mission is that we exist to help you die to self and live for Christ. That's what we believe we're being moved towards, and I'll explain why that is. We believe that as we do this, we'll be closer to achieving a vision of creating a community that is ready to offer the transforming love of Jesus to our neighbors. We want to create a community that is ready to offer the transforming love of Jesus to our neighbors. So as we learn to die to ourselves and live for Christ in our day-to-day -day life, it will transform us into the type of community that is ready at all times to offer the transforming love of Jesus to our neighbors, wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we play. So, the core values that we are going to hold dear during this time, that we've always held dear here, but that we really want to emphasize, is worship. And that really, that could, that really is the ordinary means of grace, is, a, is another way to put it. The ordinary means of grace are very simple ways in which we worship. Prayer, the sacraments, the Word. We always hold those in highest regard here at Flat Rock. If we're not doing anything else, we're studying the Word of God together, we're praying together we're going to the table together. We're baptizing uh, people together. So worship, community, discipleship, and service. Those are the core values. That's the fuel for the mission. It's the, what we're putting in the tank. It's what we're devoting ourselves to. It's what we want to devote ourselves to daily and weekly and monthly so that we can learn to die to self and live for Christ to create a community ready to offer the transforming love of Jesus. Does that, does that make sense how that works, how I'm thinking about it? There's probably a lot of different ways to think about it. That's how I think about it. Um, and as I said, this is my calling as the lead pastor, as one who's called to lead this church, um, is to consider these things. And it's my desire to share these things and to cast them in such a way that you all would know them and digest them and take them personally and commit yourselves to them together. Because we do this together. We don't do this alone. Right? I want everyone to be ready with that answer of what is this church about? What are we doing? So in the, in the last year, our mission has been to be and make disciples of all nations. That is very good, and we still believe in that. We still believe discipleship is a huge part of what we want to be about. We want to teach people how to follow Jesus. We want to follow Jesus ourselves and then teach people how to follow Jesus. But as I was in Maine taking a sabbatical, which I was so generously given by our session, I felt the Lord encouraging us to go deeper with that mission and consider what that actually means more specifically and practically on a day-to-day -day basis. So we shifted discipleship down to our core value and 
I wanted to talk about mission in more of a practical day-to-day commitment of dying to self and living for Christ. And I, and I, the God, I felt like God put Luke 9, 23 through 27 on my heart. It's always been a, a passage of, that's meant a lot to me. It's kind of been a life, life verse, verse or passage for me, and so I want to share that with you guys. And I think Jesus' words here are really at the heart of what it means to be his disciples. That's what Jesus is telling the disciples. Um, this is what it means. These are the terms of what it means to follow me and live as a citizen of my kingdom. And I think if we commit ourselves to this, we'll be much more effective at being and making disciples of all nations. So, two questions. I want to unpack. What does it mean to die to self? Because I recognize that's a pretty provocative lead. <laughs> you know, someone who's coming in who's not, maybe they haven't been to church and like, die to self? That's what your church is about? What does that even mean? Some of you all may have been walking with the Lord for years, and you're like, what does that mean? I, I kind of chose that on purpose. I want it to be a little bit startling. I want us to have to explain that. If, if, you're, if someone says, what is Flat Rock about? And you say, we're about dying to self and living for Christ. Well, what does that mean? What a great chance to share the gospel. So I want to go on this journey in 2020 to give us a clear vision what that is. So what does it mean to die to self, and then what does it mean to live for Christ? First, what does it mean to die to self? Again, a little bit of context here. The first eight chapters of Luke, all up to this point, are are answering the question of who is Jesus, okay? So he's called the disciples. They're following him. Jesus is revealing who he is as the one who the wind and the waves obey him and demons and disease surrender to him one unlike any other that's ever come before or after. And there's this pivotal change in chapter 9 where we see here earlier that Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Just a couple passages up, right? And he's answering Luke's main question. This is kind of the pinnacle of the gospel of Luke. And he's saying Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the rescuer the world has been waiting for since the fall. The one promised at the very beginning as soon as the fall happened. He is the rescuer that would come. And this is who Jesus is. It's a big deal. Big revelation. And as soon as Jesus' identity is revealed, Jesus then says, follow me. So they know who Jesus is at this rational level. Okay, you're that guy we've all been talking about and waiting for. That's amazing. We know that. We believe that. But then Jesus is sharing with them now what he desires for them at a deeper level. So that they go from not just knowing who he is, but experiencing who he is, and desiring more of him and more of his kingdoms. So Jesus' words here are the revelation of what he desires for all who call him Savior and Lord. So if you're a Christian here, this is the other, these are what you can think of as the terms of discipleship. And in classic Jesus fashion... He reveals this to them in a paradox, with great irony. Just as he's already told them, to be rich, he must become poor. To be last, or to be first, he must become last. To be king, you must become servant of all. To be blessed, you must be persecuted. He tells them the most startling aspect of what it means to follow him. To live, you got to die. So they've got to be, again, thinking like, This is not what we were expecting. We just thought you'd make us all the best. 
and the most powerful and reclaim everything for your people. Destroy your enemies. So there's got to be a little bit of a letdown here. And there might be for you as well. That's not the Christian life I signed up for. It's so counter to what has become so popular in the American church, which is the health and wealth gospel. Jesus doesn't exist to make you rich and powerful. He exists to help you die to yourself. But we need to go further in that and see what that means. His words there, he repeats this again in Luke 14. It's recorded in Matthew. It's recorded in Mark. And they're recorded numerous times because they're at the very heart of our mission as his disciples. So just as Jesus' life demanded a cross, he's saying so is yours. So will yours. There'll be a crucible. There'll be a cross. that You have to bear as well. Jesus is not willing to lead us. I tell, married, I tell uh, couples in premarital counseling this, and I say this at weddings. You cannot lead someone, husband, where you yourself are not willing to go. Jesus is not willing to lead us where he himself is not willing to go. It's at the heart of his leadership. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of his most famous quotes, you know, he's a German theologian um, who was fighting against Nazism uh, in World War II. It cost him his life. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he says, when God calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Strict terms of discipleship. Uh, some of you all may have seen this post on Facebook that I made this week. I don't often post on Facebook, but this was particularly <laughs> meaningful to me as a church planter. Um, there was an ad place. One of, one of my, my favorite book of all time is this book called Endurance, which I've talked about up here before. It's about Ernest, about Ernest Shackleton and his famous voyage to discover Antarctica and traverse it. And it was very perilous and, and, and dangerous, but he led his men through it. No one died. It's, pretty, it's a remarkable true story of survival, which are my favorite stories. But in order to get men to come on this trip in 1914, this is the ad he placed in the newspaper. Um, he said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Not quite how you recruit people to the cause, right? But about 200 men signed up to join him on that journey. And he proved that it would be worth it as they survived this incredible adventure. And along the same lines as Jesus, I think Shackleton was up front about the cost of following him on a remarkable life-changing adventure. And I've shared this before, but in the book, um, on the voyage, one of his crew says this, after the trip's over and they've survived it, he says this, for scientific discovery, give me Scott. He's another explorer. For speed and efficiency of travel, give me Edmondson. But when disaster strikes, all hope is gone. Get down on your knees and pray for Shackleton. That's how much you trusted him. That's how much that journey together proved his leadership. Shackleton was a brave leader, demanded the most from those who followed him, even though they faced death head on. They were delivered from peril. They made it out alive. Shackleton was upfront about the terms of the mission, and he delivered, and that's what Jesus is doing here. This is his ad to follow him. And a lot of you all have signed up for it. But you don't want it to cost you anything. You want the waters to be smooth. And as Peter says in 1 Peter, he says, don't be surprised 
when suffering and trials come. And a lot of us are. We live in a culture of Christianity that is constantly surprised by suffering. Why do we do this? I read a blog from a church planner this week who was saying that church planners are the worst about this. That when people ask us how we're doing, we're just, we just, it's just self-pity. Oh, it's just so hard. It's worse than I ever thought it would be. It's like, why do you, why do you talk like that? What did you expect? It's not all victories. It's sanctifying losses. It's suffering together. And for some reason, I feel really uh, relieved to hear that. I don't need to be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised together. We're going to go through ups and downs. Jesus, like Shackleton, he's, he's framing the journey with him in these perilous terms, right? Why does he choose the image of death of all things? Why the cross? Why a form of execution to describe following him? Jesus chooses to frame it this way because he has great intentions for you. It reveals his intentions for you. What did the cross lead Jesus to? Resurrection. Transformation. New life. It was worth it. God used the worst instrument of death known to man the worst form of suffering that could possibly be imagined to bring Jesus into his transformed, glorified self and salvation to all of us. So he's saying, trust me. In this life that is broken, full of evil and suffering, this is the way. Will you follow me? Jesus doesn't ask you here. His intention, this is his intention for you. Notice he doesn't ask them to improve. Like most other religious leaders do, he asks you to change. He doesn't want an improved you. He wants a resurrected you. He wants a new you. He wants the you that you were intended to be. He wants to draw that out and forge that. And he will do it with great care, but it requires fire (laughs) to make you into the sharp instrument that he desires you to be. And sadly, many of us dull ourselves with the numbing effects of our vices, our addictions, the things of this world. We all know that true, effective, sustainable change doesn't come easy in this life. That's super important to hear here. Jesus is not saying that you as an image bearer of God need to die yourself. He's not asking for communal suicide here. You are created intricately and perfectly as the Father wills you to be, as Psalm 139 tells us. Jesus is talking about the self, the part of us that's distorted from the fall, that needs to be redeemed. Paul refers to this as his flesh. There's a part of us that remains under the power of sin. We'll remain there until Jesus returns. But there's also a part of us that only Jesus can touch and transform. That's our souls. And there's this definite distinction in the Scriptures between the two. The war rages in us. Jesus comes to free our souls from bondage to Satan, sin, and death. And while Satan may still have influence over us, he no longer has authority over us. He has power, but he has no authority. Christ frees us to say no, to deny him, to deny our flesh. 
Paul refers to this in uh, Colossians 3. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. In those ways you used to walk when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. We, we kind of read over that part pretty quick. He just said, put on then as God's chosen ones, you are holy and beloved. He's asking us to respond to what he's made us, to respond to what he's rescued us into. He's not saying, put off those things so you can be holy and beloved. He's saying, as the holy and beloved ones, live as I've made you to be. That's the gospel. That's, that's the grace, right? He doesn't want an improved you. He wants a resurrected you. So ask yourself, is Jesus purging the old man or woman in you? Is he creating in you, by the power of his spirit, desires to crucify your old morals and your old ethics, what you used to say, what you used to do with your bodies and your tongues? If he is be greatly encouraged. If he is not, then you should be concerned. If you've settled in to the old ways, the ways you've always done things, and you're comfortable there, you should be very concerned. It's not pleasant to purge the old self, but it's good. It's a lifelong experience we refer to as sanctification in the church. God making us more into the person of Jesus. And sadly, I think many of us go to Jesus um, to change us like we go to a crash diet. <laughs> and we walk away disappointed. We were talking about this in our battle retreat, uh, Eli and Tucker and Blake and Trey and I. Uh, we expressed our common frustration with not seeing our desires change for unhealthy and non-beneficial things in our life. Like we're still craving these things we know are not good for us. And we all have experienced this. Even Paul talks about this in Romans 7. And we agreed... It's like the process of having to change our appetites and our tastes. With an effective, healthy program, we're all looking for a quick fix, and Jesus doesn't offer that. We don't stop craving unhealthy foods until we spend weeks, some of us months, eating what's actually good for us. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you start eating well, you start to appreciate like an apple. And you eat it, and you're like, this is really good. You stop craving like a double cheeseburger which sounds better. You start to appreciate these simple, good, nutritious foods, but that does not happen quickly. <laughs> Those old appetites have to be replaced with new appetites. Maybe not even new appetites, maybe the appetites you were actually created with, <laughs> that we've suppressed. And it's hard. We all, we all know to a man and to a woman in this room that true, lasting change does not happen in our lives easily this side of heaven. That's why Jesus says, you must die to yourself to learn how to live for me. Thomas Chalmers, a famous theologian from a while ago, he calls it the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. Essentially, his, his idea is that you, you, don't, you don't get rid of, the only way to get rid of these old loves, it's like, a, it's like an old boyfriend or girlfriend, the only way to get over that past relationship is to do what? Find a new one? <laughs> yeah, that's the most effective way, right? Many of us have to replace our old loves with new loves. 
We need a new affection. It's the same in our relationship to Jesus. That's in part what Jesus is talking about here. You must die to your old loves and replace them with him. You must, it's a heart issue. You must come to a place in your life where you love Jesus more than you love pornography. That you love Jesus more than you love food. You love Jesus more than you love your work. Those, the, the, the work, the good things in life, even sex, those are good things for us to desire. But Jesus is the ultimate thing. And all of those other things fall in submission to him. So to die to self is to surrender all of those things to Jesus. It's not, Jesus is not saying, kill off all your desires, all your desires are bad. You know, I don't know if you all have ever prayed that prayer. I had a season in my life where I was praying, like, Lord, change my desires. I'm tired of desiring these bad things. And God has shown me, I'm not changing your desires. Your desires are good. You're just taking them to the wrong place. You've got to surrender those desires to me, not change them. So your desire for affirmation is not best met through the use of pornography. It's quick, it's easy, it's instantly gratifying, but it's not what I was made for. It's made for Jesus. It's a heart issue. Second half of Bonhoeffer's quote. He says, you know, when, I, when, when Jesus calls him, did I even share the first part? When Jesus calls a man, he calls him to come and die. The second part is, and in dying, you will find life. Which is helpful as we answer the second part. What does it mean to live for Christ? So Jesus is saying that following him will appear repulsive to the world. That's why he compares it to a cross. And your cross is not just the inconveniences of life, Okay. Your cross is not like a flat tire or your hurt ankle or your job you don't like. It's what has to be lost in service to Christ. It's laying ourselves on the altar of obedience every day. So we talked about last week the two paths we can walk in life according to God, the path of pride or the path of humility. And the path of pride, we said, was one of isolation, indulgence, independence, self-inflation, The path of humility was the path Jesus walked. It's the complete opposite. The path of humility is marked by denial and dependence and surrender and selfless service. So just as Jesus denied himself the comfort and the riches and the security and the power of heaven in humility to serve us in our spiritual poverty, so too he calls his followers to deny the comforts and the riches and the power of this world to serve our neighbors. This is what this is not saying. This is the disclaimer. Jesus is not saying you can't be rich or have power or enjoy comfort. Again, your desires for those things are good. What he's saying is you've got to be careful to submit those things, the comfort and the power and the wealth to God so that it maintains its proper order in your heart, in your life, in your mind. That we're in danger of being easily consumed by them and and we have to redirect them to stay on the path of humility instead of the path of pride. The truth is there's something profoundly wrong with us. We're disoriented creatures. And so to learn to walk rightly, to follow Jesus, you have to walk upside down. You have to embrace the paradox, right? 
We have to be reoriented. We have to be discipled in the ways of another world with different values and priorities. In order to learn to really live, we must die. This reminds me of watching Henry learn how to walk. It's one of the strangest things I've seen, we've seen in a while. It's very different than how our girls learn to walk. But uh, Henry, you could tell, just like he, he started to stand up, and he was, he, you could tell he wanted to walk, but he was just scared to do it. You know, it just wasn't, wasn't an efficient way to get around. He had to slow down in order to start learning to walk. It was going to take time. And the more efficient way was to crawl bear crawl style all over the place. So it started to become almost like a disturbing image from like a horror movie of this child that would like walk sideways like this wherever he would go. And he would, what made it scary, it's not just that he was doing that, it's that he was like flying across the room doing that. And it's like, wow, that is really quick. Like you may not need to walk. Like that's a good way to get around, right? But that's silly. Like, the most efficient way for Henry to get around is to learn to walk. But in order to learn to walk, he's going to fail, he's going to fall, and he's going to have to move real slow. That is us and Jesus. He's saying, stop doing this. It's creepy. It's weird. It's actually not efficient. I know you think it's efficient. It's not working. All the craziness and the noise of your life that's causing you to do that thing, you don't have to do it. Just slow down. Stand upright. I'll help you. You're going to fall down. But you will learn to walk if you will trust me and trust the process. I think it's sad because, and I'm speaking to me, that's why I thought of this this week. I like the creepy walk. And I don't know why. Maybe I do know why. He's calling us to something better. That's the point. That's, to li- that's what it is to live for Christ. It's to live above your distorted, over and above your distorted self. It's to embrace the true self that Jesus has resurrected and redeemed. Again, those desires that we have deep within us are good desires that God gave, gave each of us. The problem is that we take our need to fulfill and meet those desires to the wrong places. So to live to Christ is to surrender all our desires to him. So it's not, it's not killing your desires, it's redirecting your desires. read a quote this week, it says, Indulgence in self will never lead to the glory we were created for. Suffering and sacrifice will. It's not dying to our desires, but learning to understand them and surrender them. The writer of Hebrews describes Jesus this way. He says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal life to all who obey him. It's how we will learn our obedience. So life in Christ is a surrender. It's a denial. And Jesus, when he was um, in the wilderness and in the garden at the cross, he's faced with these vital questions that suffering causes us to have to ask. But they're really necessary questions that you need to be asking if you're going to follow Jesus, that we need to be asking. One, can I believe the Father's heart is good towards me? He will, he, suffering is the necessary crucible we need in this life to become who God creates, desires us to be so that we can ask that question. Is the Father's heart good towards me? Do you believe that? 
we talk a lot about up here, like, you've heard God loves you. We're all like, God loves us, God's love. But do you think he likes you? Or does he feel forced to love you? Which doesn't feel like love at all. And then he'll also bring you to a place of asking, can I believe that he will meet my deep desires? And thirdly, can I trust him with my pain? Because all of us trust something with our pain. And God wants us to trust him. Suffering brings us to that point of decision. Will I die to pride or will I live in humility? And as I said earlier, dying is not dying to who we were created to be. It's discovering who you were created to be. Larry Bolden, the author of The Battle Stuff, he says, the place of deepest pain in your life and suffering is the place of the greatest potential for transformation. If you're experiencing deep pain, it's because God desires to transform you and change you to that resurrected self. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. He says, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we're all trying to do instead. For what we're trying to do is remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great goal in life, and yet at the same time be good. We're all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to behave honestly and humbly. That is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. The real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes at the very moment you wake up every morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in and so on all day. That will require crucifixion, a death, a learning to die to yourself that you might live for Christ. I'll close with this. Again, Jesus is not willing to lead us where he himself is not willing to go, and it always leads to the cross, to resurrection. He took denial of himself to the cross, which led to that resurrection. That's the way forward for us as well. It's no accident that this passage, actually, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, that it falls right after the feeding of the 5,000 and before the transfiguration. A little context, the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples have been out performing all these great miracles, dozens of them. All these people are falling. They become like the biggest act in town. And they're trying to get away because they're exhausted. They're like, man, this, is, this ministry stuff is tiring. I need a break. I'm going to go by the sea, chill out. Jesus is by himself. But the crowds just keep following him. They cannot get away. They want more. They taste it and it's good. As the crowds gather, the disciples feel overwhelmed. What are we going to do for these people? They won't even go home. They've got to eat. we got to eat. Jesus directs them to this perilous situation where they feel like they're literally going to starve to death to show them that he is the only source to satisfy their hunger. I don't know if you knew this. That miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, that was done for the disciples. And the crowds were benefited from it. That's how the Christian life works. As you trust in God, as you learn that he will satisfy your hunger, the crowds will be blessed. Right? That's what we've talked about with this quest for wisdom. The rest of creation will be blessed. There's a lot at stake. So Jesus shows them, I'm going to satisfy you. Then they confess that he's the Christ. Then he says, now, 
get ready. This is what this is going to be like all the time. You're going to, I'm going to make you totally dependent upon me. And then he takes him up to the top of a mountain, and he shows him his transformed heavenly self. Why would he do that? He's saying, this is what it's all about. This is what it all leads to. If you trust me, although it's going to be hard, it's going to be beautiful. There's great hope in this. I'm going to make you, just as I brought you into this, I'm going to make you into this. He gives him this incredible vision of hope. That's what we want to do here at Flat Rock. We want you to learn to die to yourself and live for Christ and living to Christ, see him transform us into a community that's ready to offer that transforming love of Jesus to our neighbors, right? To get real practical here, I know I'm going long, but I think this is important. And again, we invite you next week, if you have questions about this stuff, write it down, bring it, ask whatever you want. If you're like, no, I don't, that mission, I'm not sure about that. Let's, let's just hash it out. Let's talk about it. Um, hopefully you're encouraged, but if you have questions, this is the time to ask them. Here's what we're going to be about in 2020, just on a real practical level. Um, we want the, um, to be a church that's praying together, that's creating spaces together to grow together. That's why we do feast groups. That's why we come to worship. But we also want to start a Sunday school in 2020. Ryan Hudson's leading us up. And we have this cool idea of doing these what we call feast group workshops. So taking really practical, topical issues like marriage or parenting and having our feast groups lead those in four-week segments for a month, and then we'll take a month off, and then we'll come back, and we'll, we'll do it again. And we'll have these workshops throughout the year. Each feast group will lead one of those workshops. Ryan's going to lead uh, the first workshop on just studying the Bible. How do we read the Bible? That's pretty important, right? Um, emphasizing that means of grace, what the word means to us. We're going to be a community that's engaged in being uncomfortable and inconvenienced by helping start something like Cosecha, which is community center for our neighborhood, of opportunity to build relationships, to share the gospel with people. Ashley's ministry with the children's ministry is going to be about creating those awesome opportunities like the Easter egg hunt and the chili cook-off and these great spaces where we can know our neighbors. And we can love on them and we can serve them. We can die to ourselves, live for Christ. And I think probably the biggest announcement we have uh, at Flat Rock is that we want a new facility. So we're really praying that the Lord provides something for us to move from Witsit, which has been a tremendous blessing and a great space for us, to something where we can really have 24-7 visibility and opportunity to say we are here and we are here to stay. We're here to serve this community. And so I would like to ask that we pray together that dangerous prayer of like, Lord, please provide. And it makes us vulnerable, and it makes us live in faith. But uh, as Ryan and I have discovered, uh, trying to find a facility in Nashville is one of the hardest things in the world to do. So we will need a miracle from God. <laughs> but that's what I want. I want God to provide something for us that we know is from Him. And in that place, I hope we have opportunities to open up our doors, to be hospitable, to, to invite people in, to dig down roots, as I said, for who we are, who we want to be in this area. We even want to start a youth group at Flat Rock. We see that we've got a bunch of young kids, and we want to start thinking towards that. I don't know if that will happen in 2020, but we want to move towards that. We want to move towards equipping our youth and our children to follow Jesus, to learn to die to themselves and live for Christ. And we want to commit to that. Um, we're doing things like Awaken in February where we practice fasting, we practice spiritual disciplines, we practice praying together, discipling our own children, praying for the lost, 
have men's and women's Bible studies. We have uh, women's ministry going on. We have retreats. We have these wonderful spaces and opportunities that are intentional. We're not just doing this to create program here. We're doing this to create intentional opportunities for us to grow in grace together. So that's, that's what we want to do practically to help make this, to give us opportunities to flesh this out, if you will, to make this happen in hopes that God will help us fulfill our vision. Let me pray for us. Lord, I